How y'all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is another episode of Follow Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And Alex, we have an emergency episode today. Oh yeah? Yeah, so I had plans to do an entirely different topic this week. Okay. And then something happened that completely derailed it in a way that I immediately fell into an incredible rabbit hole about a side of video games that I I found that I am incredibly unfamiliar with. Like, to the point of, I basically have no knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. This is like uncharted territory from like start to finish. Okay, interesting. And it's going to end up with us doing like a three-part episode on something that, honestly, when I tell you what it is, you're probably going to be like, how is this going to be a three-part episode? Like, it got to the point where I'm like, I normally put like theme music in front of like, from like whatever game we're going to be doing mm-hmm. is like the intro and outro music to each episode. I might just do a siren. Hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like, like a hurricane siren. Because right. That's like how like last minute, like I need to kind of just do this now. This, uh, this episode's going to be, but before we get into that, how are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty good. 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 I'm also doing pretty good with a uh, Christmas kind of coming up or whatnot, getting to like last minute uh, Christmas shopping out mm-hmm. of the way. Yep. I'm about to blow town in roughly about a week to go down to Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which uh, means that the plan is, is that hopefully we will get all of this recorded before all that gets done. We might, we might not. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And then we'll likely have a little bit of a Christmas break before we come back uh, next year of more episodes. That will hopefully be as wild as this one is going to be today. <laughs> so Alex, I don't really have like a good opening like I normally do where we okay. just, I kind of like try to like obfuscate what it is and lead you down to a path and then be like, oh no, it's actually this. Right. Okay. So I'm just going to ask you, Alex, uh, uh-huh. what do you know about Silent Hill Ascension? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, oh. I'm guessing you're familiar. Man. Okay, so, so is Silent Hill Ascension the topic of this series of episodes? Yes. Okay. So I got to say, this is maybe the most insanely appropriate telling thing that Konami could have possibly done. (laughs) Because things, okay, things in the Western video game industry are awful rough right now. Mm -hmm. They're not going well. Things in the Japanese video game industry seem to be doing pretty okay. Yeah. There is kind of like a massive, uh, like, mobile gotcha explosion that's taking over and driving all of the money towards putting as many slot machines on as many kids' phones as you possibly can with cute anime girls on them. Mm -hmm. But in general, like, the old guard is doing pretty well. Capcom is in, like, the best place they've been since, I would argue, the PS2 or even PS1 era. Yeah. Nintendo is chugging along. You know, their console's getting a little old, but they're still putting out some pretty good hits. They had the, I think, uh, Breath of the Wild just won the Video Game Awards for Best Action Adventure Game. Tears of the Kingdom, but yeah. uh, Yeah, sorry, Tears of the Kingdom. Um, And it's an incredible game. Uh, (laughs) uh, Sega is actually seeming to put out some video games, like they're developing video games now. Mm -hmm. Square Enix is sort of, Doing what Square Enix does and making these massive, impressive RPGs that everyone fawns over. And, you yeah. know, 
in, in general, people are, I would describe it as, you know, gathering around the table and celebrating the good times. And then Konami, the drunken bum of the Japanese video game industry, <laughs> just stumbles in and vomits some half-ass port of Metal Gear and this fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Konami's back! And everyone's like, no, you aren't. We're, we're back in the tri- we're back in AAA games. No, now. you like, aren't. <laughs> yeah, like just like Koei Tecmo from across the table yells like uh-huh. what developers were like, Bloober team. <laughs> <laughs> like we're supposed to trust you with remaking Silent Hill 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3, two of the best video games you ever made, mm-hmm. and this is your introduction to that effort? Uh, yeah, it's not promising. No. Not at all. Not at all. And, Alex, would you be surprised to learn that Silent Hill Ascension has been just an absolute mess from the second it launched on October 31st? No. No, I would not. I mean, everyone knew it was not going to go well. Yeah. The moment they announced this, everyone knew it was a bad idea. But, like, I don't know. I guess there was some fleeting hope. As we'll get into this, I I think there's going to be two groups of people who thought that this is going to go incredibly well. Uh, One is going to be the developers behind Ascension, Uh GenVid, and the other is going to be the VC money that's behind GenVid. Nobody else, really. (laughs) Uh, Oh, boy. So, yeah, have you been, like, I guess, watching any of Silent Hill Ascension? No. Of course not. Why would you? I would sooner watch Twisted Metal. Yeah. Which is funny because you can watch this for free. You just <laughs> <laughs> no, I would rather pay to watch Twisted Metal. <laughs> I don't blame you. It's at least a coherent show. Uh, so uh, before we get into this, like how? Well, actually, you know what? Let's just kind of describe what even Silent Hill Ascension is. Yes. So Silent Hill Ascension is a GenVid interactive series that takes place in the Silent Hill universe. This is officially canon and part of Silent Hill. Like, it's literally the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Or at least a side story. They haven't quite been clear. They've messaged both ways, actually, with this. Right. In it, a TV show plays out where viewers can control the outcome, either via voting for outcomes, doing puzzles outside of the show, or doing community quick-time events that happen during the episode. Now, usually, it's right at the very end. Mm-hmm. A new content comes out every Monday through Friday in 7 to 11 minute chunks or so that is compiled into a new episode at the end of every week. Uh, this is actually a change. It used, it used to be actually uh, like seven days a week until people said, this is too much. Can you uh-huh. please stop? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, sure. Why not? <laughs> now, it's intended to run over six months. And depending on how the community engages with the product, the story and ending will play out differently over that period of time. It's going to be the first of what's going to be four separate Silent Hill projects that are coming out over the next few years. Yeah, is it? Yeah, somehow. (laughs) Including the Silent Hill 2 remake, Silent Hill Townfall, and Silent Hill F. And of course, the Silent Hill movie also. Oh, right. The reason we're actually doing all this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So, this premiered on October 31st of 2023. And I completely missed it, along with what seemed to be, like, the greater video game community at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect this is because it was kind of drowned out by either all the great video games that are out there, or the continuously bad news coming out of the video game industry. Yeah, yeah. Like, needless to say, 
I was unaware this even existed until I saw a video posted on Twitter by a content creator known as Voidburner. Hmm. So I'm going to just pull this up and show it to you, Alex. Okay. Wait! Don't shoot! Please! What are you doing out here? You could have been killed. I, I, I'm just foraging for wild berries. I swear. I stumbled on a great patch of rowan berries over here. Have you seen anything unusual out here? Now that you mention it, I have seen some strange things out in these woods. You? I've been rooting for berries and other things for several seasons now. I like to make jams. I sell them in town. I could bring you some. Maybe you and your family would like that. You should keep moving. You're on my property. Well, I am sorry for that. I guess I'll just be on my way then. So, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> Once again, I'll have audio like of the scene in the episode, but mm -hmm. essentially what happens there is that one of the characters in the story with a shotgun just kind of like happens upon a dude who's just looking for some berries while they're like basically spooky things are happening in the Silent Hill universe. And Berry Man, instead of like being alarmed or upset that he's being held up by shotgun point, is like, oh, there's a patch of berries over here. I, I just like making jams. Do you want jams? And the guy's like, hey, is there something? Have you seen weird things going on? And he's like, uh, you? Anyways, do you want jams? <laughs> Like, it is incredibly stilted. Like, it's, so th there's a few things about this. First of all, I did not realize the show was CGI. I thought it was live action. Oh, no, it is CGI. Okay, um, and just really bad CGI on top of that. Mm-hmm. Like, that is an ugly-looking show. Yeah, no, it's a good PlayStation 3-era graphics going on there at yeah. best. That show does not look like it has money. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And, like, the way that the people speak to each other, and they're, like, animated and whatnot, mm -hmm. like, the very stilted way, like, when the guy, like, says, oh, yeah, the thing that I saw, that the things that I'm seeing out here are weird, like, he points out the guy holding him up a shock. It's like, oh, well, you? But it's like, there's, like, a weird pause between it. Right. Before then, he just starts talking about jams for absolutely no reason. Right. Um, so, congratulations. You have simulated the Silent Hill cinematic experience perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, having weird, stilted people talking about nonsense and then leaving without any cause or furthering the plot. Mm -hmm. Perfect. No notes. Um, yeah. However, it does highlight that, like, there is this weird, there is this weird charm with which the Silent Hill video games do that. Mm -hmm. that is difficult to replicate and is not replicated here. It absolutely is not, no. Like, when people in certainly, I would say, the first three Silent Hill games do it, it's, like, deeply unsettling how inhuman or uncannily they're acting. Mm -hmm. And here it's like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, and I, let me assure you, Alex, that is not just the only scene where that, like, happens. Like, there is... Like, literally, the most recent episode that came out, like, somebody posted a clip from it. Like, literally, just mm -hmm. the night before the recording of this episode, where two people fight off, like, a bat monster okay. in, like, a very wooden way. And then the second the bat monster flies away, the other lady's like, we should make out. And it's like, wait, what? what? 
Not the time! You almost got eaten by a bat monster that didn't actually seem that interested in eating you. Like, so, like, this happens all throughout this entire thing. And so, like, Voidberger sent this tweet out, and mm -hmm. this alongside other tweets and, and, like, some mild accusations that, boy, this seems like it's AI-generated, was enough for it to kind of go viral on Twitter. Or uh -huh. at least as viral as anything can go on Twitter nowadays. Right. And this started to lead other people to wonder if the dialogue and acting were AI-generated. Enough so that the CEO of Genvid, uh, the company that's behind Ascension, a one Jacob Navik, got on Twitter to reiterate, quote, Every word in Ascension was written by real people, many of whom have long-running careers in writing, including Telltale titles, Pixar titles, God of War Ragnarok, Resident Evil Village, and more. Across our 100,000-plus words, Zero are authored by LLMs or AI, and all are from dedicated work of a talented team, end quote. Mm -hmm. So this was immediately followed up with another tweet by, I believe it was Bob Vids, who basically noted that uh, Navic had actually had tweets up previously where he discussed at least testing AI-driven content in Ascension. Uh-huh. Which did force Navic to further clarify that quote with, quote, most of the test work was done in 2021. None of that work ended up being used on this or other projects. We have a team of animators working on the project, a team of writers who wrote the scripts, and narrative designers who made the choices. Suggesting otherwise is just a veiled insult to the talented humans who have worked hard to create something they are proud of. End quote. This was, by the way, about four weeks or so into what's going to be a six-month-long project. Uh-huh. So when you already have the CEO having to get on Twitter to basically do damage control about right. like, no, listen, it only sounds like it's AI. <laughs> we we actually paid real people to make dialogue and animations this bad. Yeah, which is like, I'm not sure if that's actually better, honestly. I, I don't. I, I have to assume if the talent they have is what he described, mm -hmm. those people must have paid, paid very little money. Yeah, that or this is they're just not bringing their A game. Maybe there's just yes, like a side yeah. game or something. Because, yeah, it's not great. It is not great. And, Alex, it was at this point that Silent Hill Ascension went from something I barely knew existed uh -huh. to something I absolutely had to learn more about. <laughs> <laughs> and what I learned was not only very dumb, but also a side of video games that I was only tangentially aware of. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, these next three weeks or so. Oh, we're going to be discussing... Not only Silent Hill Ascension, but honestly, who Genvid even is. Because honestly, I think the, what Genvid is may be a little bit more fascinating than Silent Hill. Okay, yeah, I can, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the first two episodes, we're going to be just kind of going over... Like, this episode's basically going to be just, like, more or less about Genvid. Mm -hmm. Next episode, we're going to more or less... We're going to get into, like, what they developed, including Silent Hill Ascension. And then we'll finish up the third episode with the plot up to... I guess technically be about six weeks in by the time we record that, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, hopefully something interesting will happen in there other than vaguely swinging a stick at bat monsters. No guarantees, honestly. No, honestly, no. So we just need to. So we just need to start talking about why this is even a thing. And to even get to the point where a random company like Genvid even got a chance to make this in the first place, we have to start from the beginning. And that means we have to talk about Silent Hill, the franchise. It just occurred to me, we haven't talked about Silent Hill on this podcast, have we? We never have. Oh, yeah. boy. Now, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of sure. each game or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Because, yeah, the plan was uh, I was going to at some point go over this franchise because it is a very influential franchise. It is, yes. Not only in video games, but like in wider media. Uh, a lot of things in Stranger Things, for instance, like mm -hmm. the Upside Down, are inspired by the town of Silent Hill that's in the games. Mm -hmm. So it's a very important game. We obviously are going to talk about it at some point, but we're skipping to the end right now because, once again, this is just incredibly weird. We do need to talk about it at least a little bit because I think it does inform why GenVid got a, got their hands on this in the first place. Right. So Silent Hill is a franchise from legendary video game developer and publisher Konami. The first game was, the, was published in 1999 for the PlayStation, and it's a survival horror game and direct competitor to Capcom's own Resident Evil. While they're both pretty similar on their face, Silent Hill is a much more methodical and psychological horror game mm -hmm. as opposed to the more action-oriented Resident Evil. Uh, a difference that only gets far more stark as both franchises get new titles over the coming decade or so when they're both respectively released. Mm -hmm. Like, And it makes sense. Like, Even like the main characters like, right. belie this difference. Like, Chris Redfield is a special forces cop, for instance, while as, uh, the main character in Silent Hill, whose name I'm unfortunately forgetting... Uh, it's uh, Harry Mason, I think. Harry Mason, thank you. Uh, he's an everyman in that yes. one. Silent Hill overall wasn't the most popular fran like Konami franchise out there. Mm -hmm. I, uh, this is going to sound bad, but this is what I got. A Reddit post from five years ago that does link to Konami financials, but unfortunately the, the page now just goes to like Konami's just general website, mm -hmm. claims that the series sold over 9 million games. And I have seen other more credible sources that say it sold roughly about 8.4 million. Mm -hmm. The point is, that's not exactly a whole lot of sales for a series that has eight main games and a bunch of mobile spinoffs and re-releases. It is not. And I have also heard, I do not have a source for this, I, so take it with a grain of salt, but what I've been told is that every game in the series sold worse than the one before it. Yeah, and I could believe that, given the direction that series goes. Like, in like mm -hmm. the different iterations it has, and like how it gets shuffled off so like from Team Silence or whatever Team Silent actually was to, right. like, Western developers by the time you get to Downpour. Yeah, they were trying... They knew that they had something that gamers loved, but they had no idea, like, how to actually market it to a wider audience. It's... Right. It's, uh... It's really strange, and it's honestly too bad, because I think that pretty much every Silent Hill game is interesting, at least in some respects. Mm-hmm. Even the weird one that came out for the Nintendo Wii. Now, well, it doesn't have, like, raw sales to back it up, as I've already mentioned, it does have a significant amount of cultural cachet that honestly outstrips its success. I was a Resident Evil guy, and I know honestly a shocking amount about the plot and gameplay of nearly every one of these games, mm -hmm. despite have never having played a single one. Mm. Games such as Silent Hill 2 regularly find their way onto like top games of all time lists. Yep. And it's the one Konami franchise that has successfully made its way out of video games. There are two mildly successful horror films released in 2006 and 2012 with a third one on the way. One of them is mildly okay. Yeah, yeah, I heard that first one is a-okay. It's all right. It's a series that even non-gamers know about. My girlfriend is not a big fan of video games, but she mm -hmm. knew what Silent Hill was before I even told her about it. Mm. That being said, by 2014, the series was effectively dead. Yeah. The last game to come out, Silent Hill Downpour, for the PlayStation 3, was not particularly well-received, and honestly, had the series ended there, we probably wouldn't be talking about this today. It probably still would be dead. Right. But that's not the Konami way. It's not the Konami way, because something's going to come out in 2014 that's going to supercharge the fandom. <sighs> P.T. God. 
damn it. It's it has been almost ten years and it still hurts. Yeah, right. Oh PT man. was so cool. It was so cool. And I really wish we had the time to get into the weirdness of PT. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that it was a free-to-play experience that was a teaser for a larger Silent Hill game where you basically walk through an ever-changing house in first person while a ghost woman chases you. It, and I, I'm hilariously underselling it, yes. but it was tense as hell, man. It was the scariest experience to come out of video games in, like, nearly a decade. Yeah. It was yeah. terrifying, even watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's how I consumed it. I, I watched other people play it, and I yeah. was like, I'm not sure if I could deal. Yeah. Yeah, it... And everyone, basically everyone I knew who I, like, messed with that experience was like, this thing is just super cool. I cannot wait to see what they're going to do with this. There is so much potential behind this. Mm-hmm. And it also helped that this playable teaser was directed by famed game designer Hideo Kojima mm-hmm. of Metal Gear Solid fame. And film director Guillermo de Toro was also involved as well. And it was going to be followed up with a new game called Silent Hills that these two were going to be involved in. Yep. People were psyched. Unfortunately, two things are going to happen that's going to prevent this from coming out. First is that Konami and Kojima are going to have a big old falling out. <laughs> sure are. Now, I don't believe that the details of it have ever been confirmed, but the long and short that I have heard, the rumors anyways, is mm. that Kojima, famous for consistently going over budget, uh-huh. uh, basically went over budget one last time with Metal Gear Solid Five, his most recent and final game for Konami. Mm-hmm. And... Combine that with Konami finally reaching the end of a years-long process of moving away from AAA game development, it was basically like, okay, we need to just, just stop doing this entirely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, ru- or that rumor or speculation seems pretty cromulent, because mm-hmm. like, oh boy, Metal Gear 5 ha- was a development. It was. It is, I've mentioned it before on this podcast, it is my favorite unfinished game I've ever played. I would agree with that, yes. Yeah, and it. It's one of those things where it's like, you you see at the point where the money kind of ran out and they said, mm-hmm. okay, Kojima, you need to kind of just get yep. on out of here. Yep. And you combine that with the fact that Konami after that was like, we're going to just refocus our business on more of the arcade and entertainment, uh, other entertainment venues that we have in our porf- portfolio. Mm-hmm. That basically meant there was zero interest in making any more big budget video game experiences. And so Silent Hills was dead. However... <laughs> There was a slight problem with this. And that problem was, one, they made something that generated a ton of hype, mm-hmm. and they attached a video game director that was known for a surprise reveals and obfuscation and trickery himself. Right. Uh, to a, and he, on top of that, attached to a franchise that was also kind of known for that in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so now people were like, oh, wait, no, we got to like just look at the tea leaves. Obviously, you know, I, I div- <laughs> divine that... Kojima's going to come back, and in 2017, Silent Hills is actually going to come out alongside the real Metal Gear Solid Five and all this sort of stuff. Oh, God. Just the amount of baseless blind hope mm-hmm. that came out of the whole thing. That persisted for, like, a good five to... I think actually as like late as, like, eight years. You were still seeing, like, posts about, like, mm-hmm. no, no, listen, any game now. <laughs> the real Metal Gear will come out. Yeah, and so, like... It ended up taking up this sort of like weird mythical presence, right? This mm-hmm. like Silent Hill game that's going to happen or or the new Metal Gear Solid or what have you. And there would just be constant rumors that once again, yeah, no, Konami's going to make it happen. 
And of course, this never did happen. Nope. Konami just instead sort of stopped making console games for the most part. But once again, people kept that flame alive. And I think it's the reason, this is the reason why in October of 2022, when Konami was starting to be faced with um, some challenging economic conditions in the mm-hmm. arcade and entertainment business as a whole, right? they decided, what if we started making video games again? Yeah, I know we burned that house to the ground, but what if we just rebuild it? Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll just... I know, you know we tarnished all the goodwill we had in the industry, like all of it. Mm-hmm. But come yeah. on! They're looking over at Square and Capcom doing that sort of the <laughs> same like a couple of years ago and being right. like, ah, man. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, we'll just, we'll do it the hard way, but we won't get there. It'll be fine. We just need to make one good game. Just one good game. Just one. <laughs> and by us make it, I mean, we have no, we basically drained all of our studios of talent that's been known for making AAA games, and so mm-hmm. we're going to have to farm all our IPs out to third-party companies. Yeah. So, uh, hope they're good. But, w- yeah, we'll pick really good third-party companies, right? No, but hey. <laughs> okay, well, they have way forward for Contra, so they at least have that. Okay, okay yeah, that's that's something. Yeah, they even, they even proven they can actually make a good Contra game, so yeah. it works. So, yeah, October 2022, Konami decided we're making games again. And on top of games in the Metal Gear Solid series that they announced, Konami announced that they were going to go hard into bringing back Silent Hill for fans with not one, not two, not three, not four, but five separate projects. So I don't, this is the part I don't understand from Konami's own standpoint is, hey, our financials are in trouble. Let's get into video games to make money. Okay, first Mm -hmm. of all, stupid idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Second of all, okay, so you picked the franchise that has historically basically lost you money to do this? Yeah, the one that, yes, wider <laughs> cultural cachet, but clearly every time you tried to make a game of it has had maybe at best... like a, Middling profits. Yeah, get a niche audience. Yeah, like you, you have never been able to make Silent Hill blow up. No, no, and now we're going to make five of them, or at least five projects. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting choice, a very interesting choice that they decided to make. And if I remember correctly, the response around that time was also like, okay, that's an interesting choice. Like the Silent Hill fans were like, man, we feasting tonight. Everyone else was like, you got a lot of other franchises you could lead on. Like, what about Castlevania? Castlevania, Metal Gear, Contra has like nostalgic cash. Mm Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it is actually it is consistently funny to me that they are bringing back like Metal Gear games, Contra mm-hmm. games, uh, Silent Hill games, but like Castlevania, which has <laughs> a very successful Netflix show. Uh-huh. Like we're just gonna stick with that. Yeah, just yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We don't need it. We don't need to capitalize on that one. Someone uh, must. Ega must have farted in someone's face on the board. Yeah, there right? was like a personal level of disregard for Castlevania at Konami. Like, the last meeting that Ego's ever involved in, he just walked into, like, like Konami's board of directors and just whipped someone with his uh-huh. whip that he always carries mm-hmm. around. And they said, well, hell no, we ain't doing anything with whips anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, it's wild. So, yeah, five separate projects. Uh, a new film, a remake of Silent Hill 2, a potential prequel in Silent Hill F, a sequel in Silent Hill Townfall, and, of course, Silent Hill Ascension. 
a game that promised a more community experience that promised players could face their trauma together. <sighs> that is literally how their trailer ends, is face your trauma together in Silent Hill Ascension. It, it doesn't make any sense. Nothing about this project in particular makes any sense. It doesn't. Oh man, I really can't wait to get to the next episode and talk about mm-hmm. what their how their website is designed, like <laughs> how they're monetizing the thing. <laughs> talk to you about legendary yellow shirts. Uh, it's great. It's great. So there's a one slight of problem with this, and it's that with these announcements is that Konami had kind of once again made a hard exit from the space, and they kind of didn't have developers to actually make these games, so they uh-huh. had a contract out. Downfall was going to be developed by Annapurna. Okay. F was going to be uh, done by No Code. F, Silent by Hill. the way, sorry, F is the wildest one. That mm. one's not going to make them any money. And will pr- we'll probably be the best project of this roster. It's honestly the most interesting, given that it's like 1960s, like, Japan. Right. Like, yeah, no, okay, I'm kind of down with that. And That's it not is really- directed yeah. by someone who is famous for, like, exceedingly fucked up and traumatic visual novels. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's it is easily gonna be the most interesting of all these projects. Yes. And yeah, it's gonna sell like 10 copies, almost <laughs> undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have that. Oh uh, yeah, Silent Hill 2, which is gonna be done by Blooper Team, which nobody was happy about that no. one. No, <laughs> no, it's not. But hey, Konami has a long and proud history of mismanaging Silent Hill 2's legacy, so yeah, so honestly, it only makes sense that Blooper Team's involved. So we have all that, and that's how we get the relatively unknown studio, Genvid, developing Silent Hill Ascension. Now, if you're a little plugged into the industry, you recognize most of these developers, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Except for Genvid. Like, I imagine you have no idea who they are, Alex. No, no idea. But they sound like a company that would have made FMV games in the 90s. Oh, buddy, you are not far off. <laughs> Oh, you are not far off. Oh, yeah, look at it. It's All the signs are there. It it really is? Oh, (laughs) it really, really is. Oh. (laughs) When when we talk about the games they have made next week, you are going to be like, oh, yeah, these could be on the Sega CD. Yeah, yeah. not be wrong. It's it's just a new generation of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jenva is going to be in charge of this, and this, combined with a promise to make a game where... You won't experience the fear alone, but rather interact with a global audience that you'll have direct and permanent influence over the story and shape of Silent Hill canon. That made me very interested in one thing. Who the hell's Genvid? <laughs> <laughs> well, good news, Alex. Mm. I have listened to more podcasts and PowerPoint presentations than I care to ever want to listen to oh, in I'm order excited. to find out this answer. Oh, <laughs> uh, who are these people making this terrible show? So, Genvid is a startup that was founded in 2016 by a group of four video game industry vets. Uh, The three most prominent being Jacob Navik, Chris Cataldi, and Fabian Ninolas. I'm probably mispronouncing that last name, and I do apologize. At least three of these men were former members of Shinra Technologies. You remember Shinra Technologies? No. I I can only think of the evil corporation from Final Fantasy VII. (laughs) I can't think of the evil corporation from our real lives. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to tell you about the evil corporation from our real lives that lasted all of two years. Yay. 
So Shiver Technologies had um, Navic as executive vice president. Cataldi was director of business development. And Enola's was uh, director of technology there. Mm-hmm. And Shinra Technologies was Square Enix's attempt at getting into the cloud gaming space in 2014. That's so good. Oh, what an amazing way to name your terrible company. It really is. It's like both <laughs> inspired and you know it's going to be cursed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, that someone that just said, I hate this initiative. I'm going to doom it. Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. Also, it's really funny because I've actually been trying to avoid doing any uh, episodes about Square Enix for a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, we've done quite a few that have involved them. And they're always like kind of a dumpster fire. Right. Uh, the, the company, not the episodes. Right. And uh, I was very pleased, bo- both pleased and displeased to find that this episode is like, nah, man, Square Enix <laughs> was involved, man. The fire always spreads. <laughs> it always spreads. <laughs> Square Enix never stays self-contained. It never does, and it's amazing. So, this company was formed in 2014, and it was led by former president of Square Enix, uh, Yochi Wada, mm. and it lasted all two years before losing 2 billion yen and being closed in 2016. <sighs> now, undeterred by this abject failure, these three formed Genvid, a company whose name comes from the Latin root words gen, meaning birth, and vid, meaning viewing. Unfortunately for us, their name does not literally mean they're going to just make a series of birthing videos for, like, TLC or something. Uh, but rather, they had a loftier goal. Dethroning Twitch when it came to presenting eSports. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like uh, starting a new religion and, like, starting a new church and then saying, we're going to, st- we're going to stab God. Mm-hmm. They decided, we're going to form a new start- startup and dethrone Twitch. Good luck, buddy. Yeah, I would ask you where you want your tombstone, but at this point, you're just going to be thrown in the mass grave of people who have tried that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to be fair, they are, they are still an ongoing concern, and mm. they do seem to be doing decently well for ourselves, but we are getting ahead of ourselves. So, oh, it should also be noted that when he formed his company, uh, Wada joined as an advisor, so he's... okay. Great. The Square Enix is still going strong all throughout this. So, in a TechCrunch article published in October 2016 by Don Basile titled Tech Companies and the Global Rise of Esports, Basile goes on to describe GenVid's ambitions as such, quote, Recently emerged from stealth mode, startup GenVid Technologies has the lofty goal of creating revolutionary esports broadcast by bringing interactive elements and multiple camera angles into live stream games. Co-founder Jacob Navik hopes to hook a whole new audience with more compelling broadcasts and greater opportunities to monetize competitions. The challenge is that video games are built with players rather than spectators in mind. Mm-hmm. Genvid hopes to solve this problem by enabling developers to control camera angles during live stream games as if they were in the editing booth at major sporting events. This would create a more compelling narrative with built-in storytelling and emotion, something that would appeal to sponsors, advertisers, and viewers. Genvid hopes to challenge Twitch, the leading streaming platform for esports, which has a staggering 45 million monthly viewers. Twitch's single camera's perspective, Navik says, is like watching a Major League Baseball game from the viewpoint of a GoPro camera strapped to a player's back. It's pretty easy to see the huge potential for profit if Genvid is successful with its current free demo phase and upcoming beta test with esports companies. End quote. Okay, so... Very interesting. I understand mm-hmm. the sales pitch. Mm-hmm. 
they're not wrong. I don't disagree with that. Uh, games are designed for single camera, and that kind of inherently makes esports broadcasting difficult. Yes. I think I think that is definitely true. Um, how are they intending to get developers to sign on to this? Because it's the developers who have to implement into their game for additional effort those multiple camera angles. Wow, Alex, you've just discovered the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, this actually doesn't solve anything. Yeah. You see, because first off, just as you mentioned, developers would have to license out this technology and put it into their games. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. The second is that while the idea of this technology that would allow greater control over what people could see in-game is interesting, mm-hmm. by 2016, esports was already big enough that developers had implemented this stuff in their games or had figured out mm-hmm. workarounds. Mm-hmm. Like, take Rocket League. I was watching an old Rocket League match from 2015 right. where they had an overhead camera that somebody could control and look at the action. Mm. Uh, fighting games largely don't need this with a yeah, limited nope. play field. And even older games like Team Fortress 2, you could fake it by just switching between player views to give mm-hmm. spectators different views of the action. It's on his face an idea that's just dead in the water. Yeah. It does little to address how they are going to actually take on Twitch, a streaming service that doesn't just dabble in esports. And also, one where Twitch doesn't need to necessarily do anything about this. This is all going to be mm-hmm. developer side. They just have to have the servers to where you could broadcast too. So, like, right. how this. This doesn't affect them at all. <laughs> yeah, no. So, now, it's clear they realized this early on, too. So, they're like, we're going to pivot to something else, actually. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. As I learned later, not completely, but they are <laughs> going to pivot to something else. Mm. Something similar, but different. They're going to take that control meant for companies and share it with the players. And to do that, they're going to create a new technology. Massively interactive live events. Or Miles, for short. <sighs> Socks, you're probably asking, what is a mile? Yeah, let's let's say that I'm asking, what is that? <laughs> well, good news, I sat through a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, we're going to start with what Genvid thinks it is. Okay. So, in a presentation given at Beyond Games 2021, a digital conference where companies talked about how best they could use things like the blockchain, AI, and the metaverse, and other Web3 concepts into their products, Chris Cataldi broke down what this is. It's a technology that will allow viewers to become participants in the content and beyond. The idea behind this is that they believe people like communal experiences and having participation in live events, but that is at odds with how entertainment is structured nowadays. He gives the example of how entertainment is either lean in, which is like movies and TV, Mm -hmm. or lean back, I'm sorry, lean back, which is movies or TV, or others are lean in, like video games and VR. Miles attempt to bridge the gap by offering an experience that caters to both. And then he gives this following example, quote, Picture a virtual nature documentary where you control the weather and number and behavior of predators, or a live music festival where your input describes, uh, decides who plays next. What? Your creativity is the limit, end quote. Okay. First of all, your creativity is not the limit. The limit is the pooled creativity of however many millions of people are watching this. Second of all, both of those examples sound awful. Yes. Yeah, like, you can already see the flaws, like, kind of bubbling up from here, right? Yeah. And and I think you just kind of, like, touched on it. It's like, but if you're giving this to a million people at once, like, how... 
is anybody going to decide who's going to be up next on like the music show or whatnot? Right. That's you, that's just voting. Yeah, it's just voting, which I hate to say is we could already do that in video games. Yeah. And TV. Survivor has existed for a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird, huh? <laughs> huh. Funny. Yeah. Also, that nature documentary you're talking about isn't a documentary. It's a simulation. You're describing a video game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But what if you're describing a video game where, once again, you have millions of people who can make the decision of, let's put three more three more tigers in the scene. Then you have a video game you can't control. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, this sounds bad. It does. It sounds really bad, doesn't it? Well, Alex, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> oh, good. So, like, I feel like these aren't even... I don't think Ascension or anything Jinvid did is the first attempt at, like, democratizing narrative experiences. Mm -hmm. And they never work. It never works. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you, Alex. Mm -hmm. This... They're going to somehow make it worse. Oh, good. Because I'll leave it for next episode how exactly they make it worse, but they're going to somehow make it worse. <laughs> and even more pointless. Oh, but God. yeah, you're totally right. Because yeah, what's going to happen is that if, even if you do vote with the winner, it's going to feel like your vote's not going to matter if there's millions of people that are involved. Right. Um, if you're trying to like make choices in the middle of, uh, of an episode, if millions of other people are doing the opposite thing it's not going to feel like it's going to matter. And they don't seem to really understand that. That ever really comes out in any of the interviews that I've seen during this entire thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that may not seem like all that much, right? But for Jinvid, you're simply not seeing the bigger picture, though, Alex. Uh -huh. You see, Miles isn't just for letting people make some decisions in a live game, but rather it's a central pillar for viewing entertainment in the metaverse. Oh, and... There it is. That's right, Alex. Miles are going to be integral to the metaverse. <laughs> I'm going to be fascinated in maybe 10 years from now, maybe five years from now, maybe next year, when we get the retrospectives of how completely destructively disruptive the metaverse was to the entire tech industry. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. nothing, obviously... Obviously, Facebook wanted the metaverse to be disruptive and uproot the tech industry, but mm -hmm. not in the way it has. Yeah. The number of initiatives and projects and companies that were launched to ultimately die and fall to rubble mm -hmm. on the foundation of the metaverse that just did not materialize is, like, staggering. Yeah. I mean, just look at, like, the billions of dollars that, like, Facebook had to write down uh, mm -hmm. because of all this. Like, yeah, and like, they like took like, a significant hit in their, if I remember correctly, they took a significant hit in their stock. And like, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. they're still an incredibly profitable company that's outside influence, but like, even they were like rocked by this, by the yes. just the level of failure that the metaverse was and still continues to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it's essentially dead nowadays in, in Pretty many ways. Much. Like, there's a few companies still keeping it alive. Uh, one of them's Genvid, by the way. <laughs> but for the most part, people have just went, eh, maybe this actually isn't the future of the internet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, but at this point, which is like 2016 to 2019, 
they are convinced that, listen, we got to get in on the ground floor and we have to be the product that will allow GenVid to help put the meta in metaverse. It it reminds me of Destiny and other games as a service, particularly looter shooters, but just in general games as a service, where everyone, it, it, basically all of the creators signed on, but none of the consumers. Yeah. Every company was convinced this is the next gold mine, but there was not even a single, like, success case. There wasn't. To push it. Yeah, it, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it was a lot of starry-eyed developers trying to get in on, like, the newest gold rush. Yeah. Because, like, Facebook was pushing it so hard. Yeah. And a lot of people with VC money who just don't understand video games mm -hmm. or the entertainment industry just deciding to gamble. Because they're like being like, oh, well, you can just go to like a virtual Walmart and pick up virtual groceries. Right. And it's like, listen, that's well, that's actually been done before. Yeah. And it was a horrific failure back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like there, you know, there's the famous example of like people trying to put together like a physical version of like the Windows desktop that you could walk around and interact because it'd be more mm -hmm. immersive and how that was actually the dumbest thing in the world. because It just <laughs> slows things down. Right. Like, and it makes it actually the experience of buying those things demonstrably worse. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, but they didn't like understand that. They figured like, no, people are going to want to do this. People are going to want to feel like they're in there. Right. And it's like every, like pretty much every consumer was like, no, we don't mm -hmm. actually. Like we, we see how the, first off, like the barrier entry is incredibly high. And even when we get in there, it's like, wait, these are the experiences we're having. Yeah. Like, how does this just replace me just going to like Amazon on a web on a web browser? Yeah, it it it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Yeah, it's uh the metaverse was a very terrible idea, and it continues mm. to be terrible. Yep. But right at this point, once again, Genvid is convinced Miles is going to be what's gonna what's gonna help democratize and bring live events to the burgeoning metaverse. And Jacob Navick goes into this theoretical importance of Miles for the future of entertainment in a podcast by Alexander Fernandez called Video Games Real Talk, posted on December 17th, 2021. In it, he defines the metaverse as the successor to the internet. Let me be very upfront. These people are so into the metaverse. <laughs> now, he says the metaverse will be virtual worlds that will constantly persist and be at a massive scale. The metaverse will allow you to go beyond the limits of connectivity be an internet rendered in a 3D space, and that in itself will just be the inevitable evolution from what we have today. Now, he cites the, that this is inevitable because he looks at the younger generations and how they are spending more time in virtual spaces, such as Fortnite and Roblox, mm -hmm. and how they're like doing things like hosting like virtual concerts in there that people are having experiences and enjoying themselves in. And he speculates that it will only increase. Now, Miles will be the framework that will eventually allow all this to happen once the metaverse really gets off the ground. He mentions that right now, like from a technolog technological perspective, they're not anywhere near what the metaverse truly will be. Mm -hmm. um, there are multiple times in multiple interviews that he, that either he or somebody else at Genvid will mention the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and how that eventually they'll get there, but Miles will be built now so that eventually it can kind of slot in and serve that function and what the metaverse eventually will have, like, be. Mm -hmm. So, to, 
further describe how into this they were, we switch over to an interview that Chris Cataldi gave to Ockham Fehrenbach in the German publication International Games Magazine, uh, published on August 2021, to explain what all this means. According to Chris, Miles meet the criteria for a metaverse product due to the following factors. First, the metaverse will be persistent. That is, it never resets, pauses, or ends. Rather, it continues indefinitely. Second, it will be synchronous and live, a living experience that cont exists continuously for everyone and in real time. Third, there will be no cap limit for concurrent users in the metaverse, while also providing each user with the individual sense of presence. Fourth, it will be a fully functioning e economy. Individual individuals and businesses will be able to create, own, invest, sell, and be rewarded for a wide range of work that produces value. Fifth, the metaverse will be an experience that spans both the digital and physical worlds, private and public networks and experiences, and closed platforms. Sixth, it will offer unprecedented interoperability of data, digital items, and assets, as well as content and other things. And seventh, the metaverse will be populated by content and experiences operated by an incredibly wide range of contributors. Now, Cataldi mentions that Miles already meet all of these points except for four and seven. So it's not a fully functioning economy, and the metaverse is not populated by content and experiences operated by an incredibly wide range of contributors. But every other one, they do. <laughs> so, God, it is like these people have never heard of Second Life. Right? Right? <laughs> we tried this already. Mm-hmm. That is the running thing about this, Alex. The running theme about everything they're going to do in this is it has already been done before. And it's either been successful and then failed or just failed outright. Mm -hmm. Like their entire, the entire thing behind like Silent Hill Ascension, honestly, has already been done with Telltale's The Walking Dead. Yeah. Like, so like there is that. Uh, their whole thing about like esports and whatnot has already been done. Yeah. <laughs> like, like with the developers putting the tools in there. It's um, already been done by esports. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then everything like with Miles and how it's going to integrate in the metaverse is for a product and experience that has already been done by Second Life. Yeah. Yeah, it's already been done. The results have already bore out. You could take a look at it and determine whether or not you should actually get into this or not. And it seems like they've ignored it. It's they insane to me. absolutely ignored it. Mm -hmm. So those criteria he was talking about, what exactly are those? So the criteria are like basically what is a metaverse product in relation to the metaverse and how does Miles beat those criteria. And in fact, here, I'll just go down and use like Silent Hill Ascension uh -huh. of like their current most recent like Miles product and tell you like what which points it meets and not. Right. OK. So point number one, Miles are persistent and continue indefinitely. That is not true for Silent Hill Ascension. Mm -hmm. It's planned to run six months. Mm hmm. Two, miles are synchronous and live. This is sort of true, but once again, the experience does eventually end. Right. Three, there's no cap for concurrent users. This is true, but there isn't on Twitch or YouTube either. Mm. <laughs> or at least no perceivable cap. You know, there's mm. server caps and whatnot. But, right. Uh, as mentioned, it doesn't meet four. Right. Five, it'll be an experience that spans both the digital and physical worlds. This is true, but technically all digital experiences have the ability <laughs> to do this. If I go and tell somebody about a cool game I'm playing or get scared playing a horror game, I have already accomplished this. Right. Six, as far as I know, 
none of this is on the blockchain, and you cannot use items in Silent Hill Ascension in anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, Seven, they actually might maybe already beat Seven. It depends if you think that viewer, the viewer is a contributor via doing puzzles or voting. But given mm-hmm. these contributions are rarely ever clear on an individual basis, I'm not sure it meets that either. So yeah, no, it, it's all bullshit. Right. So are, are these criteria from Facebook or did Genvid invent these? Okay, so there is this guy by the name of Matthew Ball, Ball who's like a, um, he's a venture capitalist and evangelist for the metaverse who's worked pretty closely with Jacob Navik to put out a primer uh, about the metaverse. And my oh understanding God. is Chris Catali was referencing that in describing a metaverse product. This, this sucks. Yeah, doesn't it? Everything about the metaverse is a scam. It is. It is it's, 100% it's a scam. Layers of scam artists working off of each other's scams to make up more bullshit to get more money from other people who mm-hmm. are then going to make up more bullshit. Like yeah. it's just it's not it's not even this is the thing. It's not even scamming consumers. It's just scamming each other. Yeah, cuz none of these none of these products sell. No, the consumers look at it and go, "Nah." Mhm. Yeah, they go like, nah, we're good, but then like, we'll get into this next episode. It It is enough to like convince in, like really dumb VC companies to part with their money. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that is all the metaverse ever accomplished. Mm-hmm. Is launching initiatives on venture capitalism money to convince other venture capitalists to pay them money. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, just parting fools with their money, which the tech industry, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. And so I, I kind of want to like bring up that list because like they, that list seems like nonsense and it it sort of is. It is. And it, it has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't. It doesn't. But that's what they're referencing in terms of their framework for Silent Hill Ascension. So it's like, all right, cool. Let's see how this product meets these uh, criteria. And it's like, oh, wow, it doesn't meet like the vast majority of it. So, yeah. Like, what even is this? But also, like, is every Metaverse product supposed to meet all of those criteria? I guess theoretically, yes. Because that's putting awfully stringent restrictions on what a Metaverse product can be. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of language that you write for a cult. Yep. <laughs> Which, I mean, to be fair, like, a lot of things with Web3, it, yeah. there's some very culty behavior that's associated with it. Yeah. Like it was, it was like when I like saw this and like looked at Beyond Games, uh, and saw that it was basically just like, hey, we're talking about Web three, blockchain, AI, all the buzzwords that tech that the tech industry has been pulling out, all the different little things that they jump from one thing to the next in order to yeah, once again scam money out of each other. Mm-hmm. That was like okay, wow, yeah. So this is the company that's behind Konami's first. First big real product that they're put that they're publishing. <sighs> like that's the crazy thing about yeah. it. this is the first thing I to my yep. knowledge that they've published. Uh yeah, I guess this probably did beat the Metal Gear HD collection to market. It might have. I mean, at the very least, they're close enough to each other. Yeah. So yeah, like so seeing then and seeing this company behind it, I'm like, okay, wow. Yeah, no, yeah. I have to explore this more. Okay, yeah, so yeah, Konami's grand return to doing anything of cultural note is mm-hmm. let's hire this metaverse loyalist scam company. 
to mm-hmm. make a terrible TV show yep. out of our most mismanaged franchise. Yep. Match made in heaven. So, this interview didn't stop there, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so, funny thing. <laughs> so, because Cataldi mentions that Miles have already met these points once again, mm-hmm. except for four and seven. And he also mentions how Miles could bring great value to esports as well. Oh my god. Yeah, it turns out they didn't drop that chestnut completely. Of course not. But the difference is, instead of like having companies like make use of their tools, mm-hmm. viewers would make use of them to do things like cheer for their favorite esports team or customize how they viewed the play field from moving the camera around to displaying stats on screen. Uh, I've actually seen one of their demonstrations they use with CSGO, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of like, okay, you can have like nine windows up of like different viewpoints and like put stats up and move the camera around to like do all sorts of stuff. And like he wants this sort of stuff because he hopes it would bring the equivalent of like home field advantage that could be felt by players to either inspire or demoralize them in the same way fans in real world stadiums impact games. Isn't that awful? Uh, I mean... Eh. I, I think fan interaction is actually a really cool thing. Uh-huh. Here's the thing, Alex. Like everything else, it's already been done. Yeah. Crowd control exists. <laughs> like the ability yeah. for, for viewers to influence a game somebody is playing mm-hmm. already happens. Like Games Done Quick actually ha- has done like races between competitors where crowd control acts actually a factor in order to raise donations. Like mm-hmm. they've already done that. Um, the ability to cheer for your favorite team and have people know about it. Right. That's Twitch chat. Yeah, you can just put the Twitch chat on another monitor. Yeah, that's already been solved. And probably the most galling thing is like, well, you know, viewers can give themselves a better experience by being able to get the optimal camera angle and whatnot. It's like, well, you're just no. offloading that work to the viewer now. Like, yeah. one thing that like makes like football broadcasts or basketball broadcasts really great is that there's people behind the scenes who have like worked on this forever mm-hmm. and figured out the optimal way to view these angles. Yeah, um, have brought have leveraged technology in order to make that better. Not by being like, well, we'll give you like twelve camera angles and like the viewer can like switch between them or whatnot. Right. Yeah, more is not better for this. What is better is again professional event camera people. Who know mm-hmm. how to do this well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like like when I heard that, I was like, oh, he, it's it's so misguided. It is. I see where yeah. they're coming. But here's the thing, I see where they're coming from mm-hmm. with this. I see where they're coming from with every single one of these ideas. Right. It's just it seems like they just didn't realize that this has all been done before. It has. Like even custom controlled viewpoints. Like, if you go into any multiplayer shooter, you can spectate and move the camera around yourself. Guess yeah. what? It sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, and, like, it works great for, like, the esports scene, because, once again, you could have capable people spectate and, mm-hmm. rot- and move the camera around. But, like, on an individual basis, it's just kind of like, whatever. You You can't be aware of where everyone is at any given time. And even if you could, like, who's the guarantee that you're going to be able to set up the optimal shot? Right. Yeah, it's it's a silly idea. So that is our ex- explanation of what Miles is. Let me tell you what Miles actually is. It's a browser-based framework where viewers can watch an experience and occasionally influence what's going on, mm-hmm. either by switching viewpoints, doing puzzles outside of the viewing experience, voting on actions as they pop up, or occasionally doing inputs inputs to possibly affect something going on. Uh, otherwise, you're just largely watching the action. It's actually a lot of the lean back experience of just watching. Right. Okay. Once again, 
a lot of this just sounds like Twitch. It kind of does. Or like a Telltale adventure game, except a yeah. lot of people are playing at the same time. Except with the innovation of not actually having to buy the game yourself, because it's all handled on Genvid servers. That is the one thing I will give them. Mm. You don't have to buy a product mm-hmm. in anything they have put out. Um, it is all handled on Genvid servers. And I don't believe it. I don't know if it offloads any of the computing power onto your computer. I, I can't right. guarantee that part. Uh-huh. Okay, so that that is nice. That's very mm. pro-consumer. How do they make money? We'll get into then. how they do that with Silent Hill Ascension. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a battle pass. Uh, okay. Okay. There it for is. their other games, it's advertiser re- revenue. Because right. a lot of their games are going to be on Facebook. Mm. Oh. Yep. Doesn't uh isn't internet-based advertiser money extremely unreliable and fickle? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. Good. <laughs> Which is probably why this most recent one is not on Facebook and is using mm-hmm. a battle pass. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I cannot wait to tell you about the battle pass. <laughs> Speaking of ideas that are well past being cooked. Um uh-huh. So yeah. That's what Miles is. It's this sort of framework that has the that theoretically has the innovation of being handled off off your computer, and also the innovation of uh, taking those impactful choices you could potentially make in say like the Telltale's The Walking Dead or Wolf Among Us that like persists among games and mm-hmm. experiences, and taking them out of your hands because spoilers, since there's hundreds or thousands of people also making these choices, there's a decent chance your choice isn't going to matter at all. Right. So. We, what we have here is a framework or technology that's attempting to solve problems that have already long been solved, in some cases better than what they're going to try to do here, all in order to get on the ground floor of a theoretical future internet that at the moment simply doesn't exist and may mm-hmm. never exist. And even if they did have a vision for the future of connectivity and entertainment, I'm not sure people really are all in on it. I think anybody who's plugged into this space as a consumer is probably very skeptical of what this can actually provide for them because... Well, it seems all pointless. But mm-hmm. you know who isn't? Mm. Venture capitalists. Yep. Because this is going to be a winning idea in their eyes, given that Genvid is going to raise a total of $166 billion in funding, including their most recent round in 2021, where they raised $113 million alone. That particular round came off the success of the first ever Mile project, a project called Rival Peak. And next time, Alex... We're going to talk oh, about what Genvid has God. actually produced. Wait, Wait. Do, do you know what Rival Peak is? I'm pretty sure I know that game. <laughs> game. I'm pretty sure I saw that one. That was, oh no. Yeah, buddy. Oh, oh Rival Peak is terrible. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I cannot wait to tell you about that game and the sleight of hand that they did with the statistics and that as we talk about Rival Peak, all the rest of the stuff that Genvid has done, and ending with the ongoing disaster that is Silent Hill Ascension. Alex, how are you feeling right now? I, man, technology sucks. Yeah, man. Makes you want to be a farmer, doesn't it? It really does. Just like, man, early 90s, there was so much potential for home computers and Mm -hmm. the internet and connectivity. And then we hit it, and it just brought out all of our worst tendencies. It really did. It really did. Just like, oh, we can just be uninhibited bastards right here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. 
I remember getting onto my Sega Dreamcast and getting onto the internet for like mm. the first time and like mm-hmm. downloading a little trailer to my VMU for wow. Code Veronica and being like, wow, man, the future is limitless. The internet. And now we <laughs> now we are constantly being served up ads on our phone at like just a rate that is both consistently terrifying and also unwanted. It's it's wonderful. And we it's- we just burn through money and people and products and mm-hmm. fire people and invest in stupid ideas and build the future on sand. And you know what? Code Veronica wasn't even that good. <laughs> no one talks about it anymore nowadays. I wonder why. Uh, we even Capcom skipped it and they even remade three. Yep. They did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that the body count that tech has and uh, how it's going to continue to have an ever-increasing body count. At the, at the very least, I will say that's about Genvid. I don't think they have a body count. Mm, I yeah. think I think, in fact, I don't even think that the people in charge of it are necessarily bad people. Like, Jacob Navik seems to be actually pretty down on cryptocurrency in general. Okay. Like, when people say, like, like there's an interviewer who's like, hey, man, like, what do you think about, like, the metaverse applications of crypto? And he's like, yeah, that's not a metaverse product. Yeah, I'm sure with that. Um, but yeah, like they just seem like horrifically misguided, which I think is what makes this a little bit more fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like I don't want to like slack them too too hard, but this is a really dumb product. Yeah, that's that's fair. We we can cut them a little slack. Hey, you know who I won't cut any slack? Epic Games. <laughs> Boy, Facebook sure lost a lot of money on that stupid metaverse idea that's crumbling down around their heads. Mm. You know what would be a really good idea if we made our own one? <laughs> Fortnite isn't making as much money. Let's throw all our company into something that's a bad idea. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I forgot how uh, how big Epic was into the metaverse until I went to uh, Matthew Ball's like about page. And he has like a bunch mm-hmm. of quotes about like people who have referenced his work or whatnot. And uh, yeah, there's one from Tim Sweeney that's on there. Oh, Tim. Tim loves it. Yeah. He's so in. He is so in, and he will never not be in. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um, uh, it, th- That quote page is actually, like, really funny, too, because mm-hmm. let, let me see if I can bring it up. Because some of the quotes on there are like, really, you're going to put that up there? Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. One of um, one of the, the uh, quotes he has is uh, actually from Mark Rain, the co-founder of Epic Games, which is kind of funny. Mm. But the quote is just, this is just, this is one of the best business articles I've ever read. Mm-hmm. It's like, which article? Oh. What article? I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's written many articles. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so it's like really like weird ones on here that are just like okay sure uh like the one from the new york times is matthew ball a venture capitalist and prolific essayist like not that he's good at it or anything mm-hmm. like that or bad just he's prolific. He, he puts out a lot of essays he's done a lot yeah it's um <laughs> oh it's fun yeah the, the, the quote page is so much fun but yeah yeah so yeah i cannot wait to talk to you about all the different little products in there and what their their honest end goal is, because uh, it turns out they do have an end goal of all of this, and it is very cynical. Uh, so look forward to that next episode. But yeah, Alex, do you have any final thoughts? Mm, 
No, I think that was it. Epic's metaverse is going to be a stupid idea. Unreal Engine 5 better be really good because mm-hmm. they're going to lose a lot of fucking money on that. Unreal Engine 5 is so cool. Like, it's I so lo- cool. I love the way that they have like streamlined like lighting and reflections in that. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like take the burden off of like people doing ray tracing. Mm-hmm. Like their lumen stuff is so, so cool. Yep. And yeah, says, yeah, no, amazing engine, fucking terrible garbage company. Yeah, everything else around it is on fire. Everything and- else Epic does actively ruins the video game industry. Like, actually, literally makes it a worse industry. I'm going to be really interested to see, like, what their, like, Fortnite Lego project actually ends up doing. It yeah, seems- it's it's got, like, I've seen some of it. It's interesting. If you like Minecraft. Yeah, it, it seems like it's like just heavy mine, like heavily like Minecraft. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure it's going to do well for them. I have like no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But like, I I wonder how well, like, would yeah. they actually take any sort of chunk out of Minecraft? I'm like, not really sure. Yeah, I, I, Minecraft also has a, like a huge head start in yep. that space. Yep. Yeah, the game that has sold the most copies, like, ever. Yeah, it it'll be interesting to see what they do, but yeah, like it'll also be interesting to see like how much like more like metaverse stuff comes out over the next year or so. Because yeah. like I thought like most of it was dead and I was waiting for Genvid to have pivoted away from that, but no, as as of August of this year, like um Navic was like on like a podcast talking about the potential of the metaverse, so that they're right. still in on it. Like the problem is the money's already been spent. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to do but put, bring a product to market and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Ah, well, Alex, thank you for doing this with me as always. Of course. And for you, the viewer, if you want to listen to other episodes of Fall Through Plot Holes, you should go to ftp.podbeam.com or search for Fall Through Plot Holes on your podcast service of choice. Uh, leave us a like and review. Check us out on our YouTube page that's also Fallen Through Plot Holes. Uh, and if you have any additional comments, you can also send them to our email address, followingthroughplotholes at gmail.com, which will be in the description of both this episode and the YouTube episode. You should tell us about your favorite Metaverse product. Uh, was it the one where you could just go and buy, like, land and basically decorate it and make, like, a Mario house? Uh, was it... Uh, yeah, actually, you know what? Better yet, tell us about your second life avatar. Because let's be honest, <laughs> you didn't bother with anything you, with anything in um in the metaverse. No. You probably were too busy playing uh, Second Life and being like basically an emo unicorn or something similar. You know, being Macho Man Randy Savage, except like crossed with like uh some like like some other rest dark dark Macho Man Randy Savage. There mm. we go. Tell us about that. That's going to be far more interesting because you're probably far more creative than the suggestions i've come up with i was a soul reaper from bleach oh were you nice yeah and i had the black robes i think i had a big sword i of course you did of course you did (laughs) why wouldn't you my favorite thing about that is that you could be um you could be like airplanes like you Mm, could be like an a10 warhog and then you could do things like twerk as an a10 warhog Mm -hmm. which oh which is just so good Second life, Second Life was cool. Second Life was great. I, I will defend it. Second Life and VR, uh, VR chat mm-hmm. are in that same space of like Metaverse will never ever achieve this yeah. because Metaverse is safe. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's very, very safe. Whereas, you know, they're willing to do whatever the hell they want in VR chat, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same with Second Life. Absolutely willing to do that. Ah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Alex, once again, thank you. And take care, everybody. Take care.